Hey, listener. Before we get into the good stuff, I just wanted to let you know, if you'd rather just get this entire audiobook at once and start listening to it immediately, just head over to my website at nickthacker.com audio. That's N-I-C-K-T-H-A-C-K-E-R.com slash audio. This is The Atlantis Stone by me, Nick Thacker, read by my friend with a much better voice, Mike Vendetti. Chapter 11 12.13 a.m. Whittenfield Laboratories Headquarters, Washington, D.C., USA Rice sighed with weariness, less from exertion than extreme boredom. His wounds hardly bothered him, save for the occasional flare-up in his shoulder where the ball and socket's tendons had taken a little longer to heal properly. His security detail tonight had him walking quite a bit. His route through the complex was essentially a circle he shared with two other men, one named Eric Benson and the other a fat, lumpy fellow named Bear. Rice couldn't remember the guy's first name, kind of sad, since it was Bear's boss, so he usually called him Behemoth, only in his head, of course. He shook his head, laughing internally. He walked up the stairs out of the tall tower encasing the facility's combustion core unit power center for the Whittenfield Research Center. Except for his two recruits, part of the compensation package Bryce had worked out with Whittenfield two months ago in Afghanistan, his team was a pretty shoddy excuse for his security detail. He'd have been happier with some rent-a-cops from the D.C. police force. Behemoth, Bihar, was a nice guy, mid-forties, wife and kids in the city. Probably liked long walks on the beach, that sort of thing. Just wasn't much to write home about when it came to physical appearance or agility, or target practice, weight training, or anything else related to being a security guard at a high security research firm. The other five members of the team weren't much better. He had only really met one of them, mostly because the kid was out drinking the night he was supposed to be on the clock with Bryce. Not well suited to dishing out tongue lashings, Bryce had just stared him down when he finally returned from his night out, two hours late for his shift. Kid's conscience seemed to have taken over from there, and he'd caused no more trouble. Bryce thought his name was Adams, Adamson, uh, Adam something, whatever, he thought. The remaining three men didn't strike Bryce as anything more than the standard career-type guards. At least they were all nice enough, got along pretty well together, but not one of them was higher than average in any regard. They were all just guys punching a clock, looking forward to quitting time, 
They all went home at the end of the day, forgetting about work until their next shift. Only Bryce and his two hand-picked recruits, Privates Wayne and Jeff Thompson, lived at the firm's headquarters in the same residence wing with the scientists and some of the other staff. Three of them shared a room, Bryce on one side and the brothers on the other, in a bunk bed unit. Wayne Ranger and Jeff Hawk Thompson were actually out tonight enjoying the DC nightlife, but Bryce expected them back within the hour for the ship change. They were good men and great soldiers. Bryce had trained with them a few years ago and they'd been close with Bryce since college. The Thompson brothers were from Texas, raised on a ranch north of Abilene. They had grown up most of their lives farming, hunting, and wrecking havoc on their sleepy town. Their father was an avid farmer and rancher, and their mother was a housewife. Both the boys enjoyed a comfortable existence, living the American dream. To outsiders, the family of four seemed to have a normal existence, but their commonalities with the traditional American way of life ended in the home-cooked meal each night. Their father, Mr. Thompson, Bryce hadn't ever heard his first name used, was an ex-Marine who had served in Vietnam and the Gulf War, and had a distinguished service record that contradicted his nonchalant farming life. As boys and young men, the Thompson brothers were trained by their father to track, hunt, shoot like soldiers. And the three of them even spent weeks at a time on numerous occasions living off the land on camping trips and survival expeditions on their 100-plus acre Texas farmstead. In college, Bryce loved to listen to their stories, often told by brothers via intense bickering and arguing matches. Wayne standing cool-headed and understated, while Jeff would exaggerate the stories beyond recognition. The effect was a hilarious, hours-long epic, complete with animated descriptions and accounts acted out by the pair. One of Bryce's favorites was the time when 12-year-old Wayne and 10-year-old Jeff, home for the summer from middle school, decided to go on a camping trip for the weekend down by the farm brook, this time unaccompanied by their father. They'd gone to the same location plenty of times and had long before stashed gear and supplies at the campsite for a quicker setup. This particular weekend, the boys had foregone their mother's prepared picnic-style meals, planning instead to catch or hunt their own. The only food item they brought, however, was a plastic 12-ounce Coca-Cola bottle Jeff had filled with dry ice from the supermarket on the way home from school. He didn't tell Wayne he'd bought it, and when they were about to cast their lines, Jeff filled the bottle with water, tightened the cap, and threw it in a bit further upstream. As it floated past, he casually asked his older brother to grab it, claiming he'd accidentally dropped it in. As Wayne reached for the bottle, the pressure inside from the reaction of the melting CO2 and water forced the plastic to expand and explode right in Wayne's face. Half of the busted cap left a shallow yet bloody gash from his left cheek to his ear. First, Wayne didn't respond. The pain of the small cut didn't immediately set in, so Wayne's first reaction was to chase Jeff through the campsite and neighboring farmland. Being older and faster, he eventually caught Jeff near the house and started to deliver a memorable beating, which was abruptly interrupted by their mother, who happened to glance out the kitchen window just in time 
tongue lashing she gave both boys was almost as bad as the beating Wayne had tried to give Jeff. To make matters worse, the father came home and restricted the boys to the house for a week. Bryce had met the brothers in college in a required physical fitness course and liked them instantly. They tried to meet up often to work out, grab a pizza, or just hang out often. By the time they'd finished their degrees, Wayne's in agricultural economics and Jeff's in recreation studies, Bryce had watched them grow into two of the finest men he'd had the pleasure of knowing. When they trained together in college or as young soldiers, they would usually get into competitive lifting sessions that would leave them sore for days afterward. Bryce loved their charismatic personalities. Wherever they were, people seemed to flock to them. They had great hearts and cared for people, a trait instilled into them by their parents and cultivated over years of hard work, managing the farm's cattle fields and the multitude of daily chores. Bryce considered them his closest friends even though he hadn't seen them for more than three years prior to hiring them for this job. It was great to be back together, almost like college again. Bryce shook off his nostalgia as he approached the final checkpoint of his round. After this stop, he'd re-enter the research base for a brief 15-minute break. Following that, he'd start the entire loop over again for a final round one-hour trip around the facility's buildings and research labs, followed by one more check of the power plant's core unit. Finally, after six trips around the base, equal to about a seven-and-a-half-hour shift, he'd retire for the night as the Thompson brothers and a few of the other security guards took up the early boarding ship. His last stop on the route was a small building set apart for the main facilities. Its construction was similar to the rest, white stucco exterior with few windows, and Bryce wasn't sure what was inside. The building had only one door on the southeast side and was simply labeled H. As the building was set on a small hill, he liked to take a brief pause at his north side to look out over the rest of the complex, getting a bird's eye view of the entire place. Let Bryce see how sprawling the Winterfield research firm's grounds were. From here, nine buildings filled his vision, all painted in eggshell white, all mostly the same size and roughly the same shape. One or two stories tall, the smaller ones about 50 yards long by 50 yards wide, and the largest in the center of the grounds about 200 yards long and 100 wide. Looking down, Bryce noticed the Thompson brother returning from the trip out on his town. They were too far off to make out the details, but he instantly recognized her walk. An ambling gait, sort of a hybrid between a duck and a cowboy, who'd been on a horse for too long. Stealth wasn't in their nature. Bryce chuckled to himself as he watched their lazy stroll toward the building's glass entranceway their motions indicating that they were again engaged in a heated, though certainly trivial, argument. As they closed in on the front door, Bryce noticed something else, something moving behind the brothers around the next building to their north. His eyes darted over to the spot, the rest of his body instinctually going stiff. There it was again. If he hadn't been focused at the spot, he would have completely missed it. It was a very large man crouching down and clad in black. 
looked like Quasimodo from the hunchback of Notre Dame. If Quasimodo had been a larger-than-life football player, the man was clearly stalking something, sneaking toward the building the Thompson had just entered. Bryce unclipped his handheld radio unit and lifted it to his mouth. Attention all detail. We have a breach. Single male suspect appears to be entering the main hallway of Building E. Remain on high alert and await further instructions. Out. With his other hand, Bryce lifted his pistol from its holster. The brothers can just get to the room. I can reach them on their handsets, he thought. I can keep watch until they're in the room, call for backup, and approach the intruder myself. As a black-clad man slowly crept forward, keeping to the shadows, Bryce reconsidered. Queen and Jeff wouldn't make it to the room before the intruder reached the doors. There was no time to wait. Bryce needed to get control of the situation right now. He wasn't sure who this guy was, but he certainly wasn't dressed for a business meeting. With a flimsy outline of a plan, overtake the intruder first, ask questions second, Bryce stood and quickly plotted his route down the hill. Before he could take a step forward, the hair on the back of his neck stood up. Someone was behind him. Turning on a heel, he swirled his body around and down, planning to land prone, gun drawn and forward. As he dropped, something hit him on the left side of his neck, causing his mind to jumble. His body went weak as he fell forward, but he could just make out a figure in front of him. Black cargo pants, military combat boots, voices above him, speaking another language. Russian? The figure moved closer and bent down to retrieve something from the ground. Bryce hadn't realized he dropped his pistol when he was struck. The figure straightened and Bryce drifted into unconsciousness onto the grass. Hey, listener, this podcast is a year-long journey, but I get it. Sometimes we're in it for the destination, not the journey. If you want it all at once, right now, without having to wait a year, grab it here, nickthacker.com slash audio. That's N-I-C-K-T. 
T-H-A-C-K-E-R dot com slash audio. Oh, and if you use the code PODCAST2021 at checkout, I'll give you another 20% off.